0: The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 2, reading verses 22 to 32. So uh, please give your reverent uh, and hearing and faith to God's word from Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses.
1: Uh, Most of us know that uh, American history, uh, by and large, is uh, uh, anti uh, monarchies. Think of the American Revolution. We uh, anti King George, and uh, we fought a revolutionary war, war over it, uh, it as an expression that uh, we didn't want to serve uh, uh, a king, much less a foreign king. Birth of our nation, anti monarchy, uh, rebellion against uh, monarchies. Uh, but when it comes to uh, the, the uh, Christian Church, uh, comes to the faith, comes to you and me, uh, uh, we uh, we acknowledge the one great true monarch uh, of unprecedented greatness, namely a uh, King Messiah. Uh, he he is our King. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. There's lots. I understand. There's lots of labels that we use, and all of them are valid. Uh, son of God, he's our friend, he's our savior, he's many things uh, because of his unparalleled greatness, uh, but certainly he is, uh, he is king, he's king messiah, he's king Jesus, uh, and uh, in, in our text this morning, uh, there, uh, there are reasons that we willingly uh, follow his kingship, uh, Peter, as you know, is interpreting the outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, the crowds uh, have seen this great event and they don't understand what's going on. Uh, they should have, uh, particularly the uh, Jews among them who knew the scriptures, but it's uh, like much of our culture today. Who understands what's going on? Because we don't know the scriptures either, and we should. Uh, and so Peter's going to interpret the event. Uh, based upon the Scriptures. It's a great application for each of us. We should interpret uh, the events of our day from knowledge of Scripture. They should be a lens through which we see everything. That's exactly the lens that Peter is going to use. Uh, Last week was uh, part one of his interpretation, namely the fulfillment of the prophet Joel that the end times have begun with the resurrection of Christ. The end times. We're in the last days. Uh, significant days. Uh, this morning is part two. Uh, and it's through the lens of David, the great king of Israel, uh, who of course now is in utter retreat. We have a greater king, uh, the Lord Christ. And uh, we will look first at his, uh, his lens from Psalm 16, God willing, next week, Psalm 110, uh, but all speak to the majesty of the greatness and why we willingly as Christians embrace him as our king, greatest monarch of all times, uh, the greatest monarchy uh, of all times. Uh, well, this morning, the resurrection, uh, we will return to that subject again. Uh, Peter will tell us through the lens of David that the. Resurrection is a radical event attesting to the identity of Christ in verses 22 to 24. Uh, Peter is affirming the outpouring of uh, the Spirit uh, in public uh, confirmation of uh, the grandeur of uh, the resurrection of Christ, very cornerstone of our faith. Uh, Vacate that, as some churches do. Uh, They're not churches, and there is no faith. We embrace it uh, because we embrace His kingship. It's interesting in the Old Testament, uh, there are very few references, very few references uh, to the resurrection. But the outpouring of the Spirit signifies that the end-time resurrection has begun in Christ. Uh, And that's one of the things uh, uh, that the Spirit... uh, Uh, is manifesting in uh, His coming on the day of Pentecost. And uh, the doctrine and the theology of the resurrection is now everywhere in the New Testament. Everywhere. Uh, Let me remind you of just two, because the resurrection, uh, the end-time resurrection has begun. Uh, begins in phases.
2: Uh,
1: But it has started it's what part of what it means that the spirit comes in uh, dramatic display uh, but one such affirmation that the resurrection has begun uh, John 5:25 truly truly i say to you an hour is coming and now is these are the words of jesus an hour is coming that's future then he says now is in other words it's begun when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear shall live that life is resurrection life On the power of the Spirit. Uh, He enabled us to hear. Uh, We heard. He made us alive. Resurrection. Uh, And again, these texts are everywhere. Uh, But I'm simply affirming that it's not just any old resurrection, it's the end-time resurrection. uh, Begins when uh, the Spirit in His great power resurrects a dead soul to believe and to apprehend the majesty of Christ as King and the Lord of life. Another great uh, text I know is familiar to all of you is Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our treasure and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. He, the grace of God, made us alive. That's resurrection together with Christ. It signifies in the resurrection of Christ. He has the power to resurrect uh, dead souls and dead spirits Uh, bringing them to life, resurrected life. Uh, And as a prelude uh, uh, here again in our text, Peter tells his listeners that God attested to or made public display of Jesus uh, by the miracles of His wonders and signs. And again, these are uh, exhibitions of the uh, breaking in of the new creation and the new exodus. These great dramatic signs that we uh, looked at momentarily through the lens of uh, the prophet Joel, that the end times have uh, begun uh, attesting to the dramatic reality that the last great exodus has begun. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're a part of that. Uh, you're a part of the, the new great way. And uh, as well, the, the new creation has begun. Uh, started the resurrection of souls and the power of the Spirit, uh, bringing men and women and boys and girls to the knowledge of the great uh, King Messiah, uh, the Savior Christ. Uh, These were, uh, again, to the audience that uh, Peter is speaking to, were uh, shocking revelations uh, uh, to those present because uh, it means more than simple resurrection. It means Christ is the Lord of life. Uh, he is the king of all life. Uh, I on a cra- occasion, uh, amused when I read of the job description of uh, uh, contemporary monarchs in our world, whether you know, regardless of the continent, uh, but there's only one great king. And our King is uh, many things, uh, but we worship Him willingly because He's the King of life. Think of it. Uh, He, uh, uh, through His Spirit, stood before your soul uh, and the Spirit said, live. And your Spirit came to life and you believed in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, None of us have that power. We can preach the gospel, but we can't make people live. Christ uh, can and He does. And uh, one of the reasons we willingly serve this great monarch is because He made us alive. It's the Lord of life. Furthermore, as part of the company that Peter is uh, speaking to, uh, many held that the crucifixion uh, was an indication of a failure. Well, just another, another guy that comes along and stirs up unrest. And now he's gone. Aren't we glad? But then something radical happens. He's uh, resurrected from uh, the dead. And uh, notice, uh, notice how uh, Peter uh, interprets what, uh, what seemingly was uh, a great failure. So on the contrary, it was part of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. uh, That uh, of the crucifixion of Christ, God predestined it. Predetermined plan. Uh, It was no mistake. It was no accident. Not just Jesus' time. uh, It was uh, predestined, His crucifixion. uh, Because... Uh, in the monarchy that you and I willingly serve, ultimately, there are no mistakes. There are no mulligans. Uh, Christ needs no do-overs. Uh, he represents and accomplishes the eternal decrees of a sovereign God. Uh, again, according to uh, predestination and the foreknowledge of God. That God decreed it. I've never uh I've never met a Christian who denies the sovereignty of God uh but I meet them all the time who step back from uh, you mean God decreed the crucifixion the greatest evil act of all of civilization in time and eternity yes the most evil act of time and eternity uh in the sovereignty of God God decreed the evil of the crucifixion of uh, Christ uh, to manifest his kingship uh, over over the grave. Uh, again, this is fundamental theology to all the Scriptures. One attestation, Acts 17.26. Uh, speaking of uh, the majesty of God, He made from one every nation of mankind uh, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation incredible the sovereignty of God. He has appointed all of your times. The place of your habitations. The majesty of the kingship of God, but certainly this morning, the supremacy of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we willingly serve Him and worship Him. The uh, vast majority of the world is anti-monarchy. You know, think of the French Revolution. Uh, Think of uh, the barons of England, Runnymede, the Magna Carta, everyone trying to limit the power of the kings. Well, in many cases, that's a good thing, but uh, there's no limitations on the power of the king that we serve because of his greatness and his majesty, his unprecedented and unparalleled uh, beautiful majesty. We willingly serve him because of who he is. a manifold declaration, uh, of course, of the sovereignty of God, uh, but even more so, even more particular that He is able and even ordained evil men to accomplish His will. Who can do that but God? Uh, and because He is sovereign, He will hold them all accountable. That's eventually what's going to convict much of the party that's listening to Peter's sermon. If God is so great, and I am accountable to Him, responsible to Him. Notice notice what Peter says to them. You nailed Him to the cross and put Him to death. And even that was part of the plan of God. Peter is, of course, linking the Jews with the the lawlessness of the Romans. Uh, But in attestation of his identity, uh, God raised him. Uh, look at the, the beautiful uh, text of verse 24. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was possible, impossible for him to be held in its power. It's a great literary irony here, this, this incredible act of evil, God reverses it for good. And what a great reminder, one of the brilliant reasons that we serve our God so willingly in worship and service. It's because He alone can reverse evil for good. Uh, my friend, that is one of the greatest blessings of life. Because all of us encounter it, that He can reverse it and will reverse it all. Beginning with our salvation, uh, concluding uh, you know, resurrection of the body. Very interesting in this text, uh, uh, verse 24, a beautiful, a beautiful picture of uh, the agony of His death. Uh, The word agony elsewhere in the Bible is used of a woman in labor, signifying the coming of new life. Uh, How can life come from agony? Well, God makes it so. And it's uh, so in our life because He's the Lord of life. Uh, Sometimes dealing with evil is an agonizing thing. You know what? God will reverse it. That's what He does because He is the Lord of life. Uh, momentarily, death had bound Christ, but God loosed and unraveled the cords, uh, because He is uh, sovereign uh, over life and death. Uh, I love the it's a picture of this this concept of losing the cords, loosing the cords of death in John 11:44. Uh, you know the context is uh, resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, how is it that Jesus could resurrect? Lazarus, because he's the Lord of life. Uh, and again, I understand that Lazarus went on to die again, but uh, ultimately, Christ will even resurrect him again. Uh, because he is he, uh, the Lord of life, he can command. Think of it. He can command the tomb. And so we read in John 11.44, He who had died came forth both Abound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Because he's king. Loose him. Literally in the text of John 11.44. Exactly of of, uh, death being loosed from Christ, he's able to loose the grave clothes uh, from, from Lazarus. And and, and again, I will tell you, uh, He does that because He's King. Uh, He comes uh, comes in life in the Incarnation as a humble King. He sets aside all of the entrapments of His eternal glory, His majesty, His supremacy, but that in and of itself is the irony of the majesty of God. Uh, And He comes again uh, with full ability to command the grave. The uh, resurrection of Lazarus portends the final resurrection, the end-time resurrection that's already started in the resurrection of souls and spirits to believe in Christ. Uh, I would tell you uh, uh, in a measure of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that uh, if you're not a Christian, there are many, many reasons that you should uh, submit to His kingship. But one of the reasons it's most powerful is that He can command the grave and the grave obeys. The grave obeys the King Messiah, the King Christ. That is someone to take heed to and to willingly worship and serve. On occasions, I... uh, Go to the cemetery, look at the grave of my parents. I'm incredibly reminded all around me on the different tombstones and the statues of uh, the sadness uh, of, uh, of uh, those holes in the ground. To the Christian, it will not hold us because of who Christ is. He conquered the grave, commands all of those holes. It's already started the resurrection and the newness of life in him. Uh, there's an allusion to this in uh, uh, Psalm uh, 18, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, the cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Uh, but then, uh, verses 16 to 19... Uh, Psalm 18. Uh, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. uh, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth, also into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. uh, True of the psalmist, but True of each of us, the delight that God has for us uh, because of uh, our great King. Uh, and all of these pretend the end time resurrection, the greatest event uh, yet to come. Uh, but I say again, repetitively, it's already started for all who've believed in Christ. Compelling reason uh, to fall before this king. Because uh, in Christ, death lets go. Cannot hold. Uh, It cannot say no to Christ when he speaks and commands. It has to obey him. My friend, that's kingship of an unprecedented, unparalleled order. Christ in command of the grave. And He's in command of all graves. Uh, It's really an application, is it not, of Acts 2.21. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why should you call upon the Lord? Uh, Because He will command that death let us go. Greatest power of all times. I mean, that is more power than every carrier battle group that sails the high seas. And my friend, a carrier battle group has a lot of power. That's chump change to one who can command death and hell in the grave. Uh, He rules over death and the kingdom of evil. Uh, We'll look at that as we progress through the book of Acts. Think about it. Uh, When Christ in His earthly ministry commands death, Uh, the demonic forces to depart and to let go of someone that he wants to save? Do the demons argue with him? Do the demons say, who do you think you are, buddy? They command. They obey, pardon me. They can do nothing but obey. Incredible. That the forces of uh, unprecedented evil if you will, to use a military metaphor, when Christ utters the command, stand at attention, salute, and do His bidding. Meaning the great hymn that we just sung, one little word will fell Him. We sometimes think that Christ is in some wrestling match with Satan. No. He commands. Satan is His servant. And one little word will fell Him. There's no argument. Satan will obey and let all who belong to his kingdom go uh, whom Christ uh, saves. Great power. But it's more than resurrection. The resurrection is a radical event attesting to Christ as the messianic king, verses 25 to 32. Uh, here, Peter's repairing to David. He will explain the resurrection as uh, a messianic event from Psalm 16, uh, verses 8 to 11. Uh, The context of the psalm is that David uh, is in some great distress, including uh, the fact that some idolaters want to kill him. And David prays for help, verse 1 of the psalm, and confesses his faith in God and in the divine presence to protect him from a premature death. Uh, he knows he is secure, and therefore in uh, verse uh, eight of uh, Psalm 16, uh, he is, he's not shaken. Uh, even though these men want to kill him, uh, he's unshaken. His, uh, his heart rejoices. He is a uh, confident in his future. Uh, and the last two verses uh, of uh, the psalm uh, give, give the reason, uh, verse 10. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow the Holy One to see the pit. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. Uh, When Peter quotes this psalm, he he leaves off this this last line uh, for whatever reason. He's the apostle. But I love the last line. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a compelling reason to serve King Messiah. In His hand are pleasures forevermore. Our world is run amok seeking pleasure. They have not a clue. Ultimate pleasure, joy, and delight is found in Jesus Christ. We enjoy God immensely, profoundly. And again, as I say on occasion, the best, best is yet to come. In Him are pleasures forevermore. Because it should form something of our theology of death. Because for the Christian, it's the door to pleasure. Uh, Not just fleeting pleasure. That's the pleasures of this world. Eternal pleasures and delight. World without end. Uh, In the the Psalter, David uses the future tense. Will not abandon my soul. Uh, You will not give me to see the pit. These are very strong affirmations. Affirmations. But they apply to us as well. You and I could say this psalm and say, this, this, this psalm applies to me. Because the grave, whatever hole they pour me into, is under the sovereign obedience and control of the majesty of King Messiah, our Savior. What a compelling reason to willingly serve Him, worship Him. God doesn't abandon His own and the, the final promise, you will make me know the way of life. Well, what does that mean? Peter's quoting the Psalter to all these Jews who probably had it all memorized, but they didn't understand what it meant. He's interpreting uh, the resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit into what it means. Verses 29 to 32 of Acts 2. That David, of course, ultimately died, was buried, but he was a prophet. God made a covenant with him. He promised that his throne would be perpetual. So that David knows that the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 16 is in Jesus Christ, the great Messianic King.
2: Psalm
1: 89.3 I've made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your thrones to all generations. That has now occurred in the resurrection of Christ. that David knew that one of his descendants would take the throne and never vacate it. Perpetual reign. A kingdom without end. And while David, of course, immediately in his own life was uh, praising God for his timely protection from an early grave, uh, he knows that his psalm will ultimately be fulfilled in Messiah. Ultimately, David prophetically speaking, of Christ and His resurrection, a greater and final heir to the Davidic throne. That He has no successors. His kingdom is forever. Uh, Doesn't need our votes because of who He is. One of the reasons we we, we should willingly worship and serve Him and honor Him is uh, because Kings, dictators, queens, parliaments, and all the rest come and go, wax and wane. Not him, in light of who he is. Uh, And David again uh, is acknowledged by Peter. uh, Acts 2.31, for he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Uh, but again, uh, if you think back momentarily of the psalm, it's, uh, Psalm 16 is using the future tense. David changes the future tense. Peter, pardon me, changes the future tense to the past tense, signifying that the greater reality is in the resurrection of Christ. He was not abandoned, and neither did his flesh see corruption. I uh, was not affected uh, by death in the grave, he conquered it, defeated it. The grave was not the end, he beat it. It's one of the reasons we willingly serve him. I understand in uh, the American uh, democratic experience, and uh, our republican form of government, uh, we are resistant to, uh, uh, to kings and queens. So, uh, the American flag does not dip in the presence of a, monar- of a monarch. Uh, well, our flag dips before him every day because of who he is. Kingdom without end. Uh, the Lord uh, who commands life and death. Now, I love the phrase and John uses in the book of the Revelation. He has the keys of death and hell. My friend, that's a reason to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and to worship Him as King. I understand He's our friend. I understand He's our Savior. I understand He's many things. The greatest of them all. The greatest monarch uh, in command of our destiny, in command of evil, all the forces of Satan and the grave itself. So the age of the great monarch is upon us. Of course, in terms of hermeneutics, uh, Peter's use of the psalm is typological. David was a type of Christ. Uh, uh, There's indirect prophetic fulfillment with intensification of meaning. Uh, Again, that is the point of of, uh, verses 31 and 32. uh, The grave didn't hold him. and the resurrection of the Christ, this Jesus, uh, God raised him up again. Uh, Christ is the Messiah. Uh, he is the King. Ascended to his throne. This will intensify when uh, uh, Peter will turn to Psalm 110, uh, but, but that for a subsequent uh, lesson. Uh, but here is the great and final fulfillment an heir to the throne. Uh, Remind you of one of the great discussions of all of the New Testaments. John 4, the woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And that when that one comes, He will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If you're not a Christian, think of those words. He tells this woman, I who speak to you am he. The kingship of the majesty of the greatest monarchy and monarch of all times that through His death and resurrection and our trust in the power of His saving blood, we belong to willingly. We rejoice in Him because He is the King of life. He is the King of death. He is the King over all of our enemies. And He's able to reverse everything that they try and will sometimes do to us. And even the greatest of them all, the grave will give us up. Incredible power. Incredible King. That's the intensification of the meaning of Psalm 16 applying to Christ. It's another documentation of resurrection, but it's so much more. It's that Jesus is the end time Davidic King whose reign is now, who's taken His throne, who rules and reign. I trust and pray by the grace of His majestic power, uh, that uh, you willingly follow Him and serve Him. And again, the drama uh, of this is the larger context of the outpouring of the Spirit. Because the Spirit's announcing to Israel in Acts 2 uh, that the King and Kingdom have started. It's a Spirit that is now the enabling power for Peter to understand that the end-time Kingdom has become. Uh, I know there are many in the church who hold that Uh, So many things are yet future. My friend, nothing is now future in the coming of Christ. It's all started. Uh, Even the end time resurrection uh, as He brings souls to Himself because they were dead and He makes them alive. His resurrection indicates His power to do that. But what's more majestic of it, it's a sovereign power. Uh, One of the reasons we are bound to Him in inextricable love because He he did it to us and we did not deserve it. He made us alive and not we ourselves. So the Spirit is inaugurating this majestic display of Christ as King. Well, what do we do with our majestic King? We believe Him. We willingly serve Him and follow Him. Uh, and we, we exhibit the, the, the measure of the stature of the grandeur of His life uh, in our virtues by the power of His Spirit. Even the outpouring of the Spirit has uh, begun in our own lives and bringing us to faith and the exhibition of the great Christian virtues. Uh, why do we follow such a different course? Because Christ our King gave us life. And uh, is in command of uh, death and hell and all of the forces of evil. Uh, so that's something of the significance. It's a compelling reason if you're not a Christian. Uh, can't make you one, can't argue uh, into the kingdom, uh, but your destiny is in the hand of this king.
2: Uh,
1: he is reigning and ruling now, he is gathering his people. Uh, over the power of Satan and his ability to deceive. Uh, He has bound that power, so he is uh, plundering his kingdom and gathering his own and will lose not one. Man, what a king. What a reason to serve him. He loses none. I lose everything. Christ loses none. And he will not abandon us. Victory is certain. The resurrection of Christ is our guarantee. Uh, When He comes again, of course, this is one aspect of the end times uh, that is uh, yet to reach uh, terminal fulfillment. His kingdom then will be visible and physical. Uh, And then, uh, we will dwell in the house of the Lord with the pleasures of eternal joy forever and ever world without end. A reason to worship and to serve King Messiah, the King of life and death, of souls and bodies. May God be gracious to us to bind us all the more to this great and glorious King and Kingdom.